Hello and welcome link. to the Weekly Four podcast. Weekly Four, talking about four things once a week. With Joe and Stephen, we actually have a new listener. Shout out to Steve Simon, who uh, has found our podcast. He says he finds it hilarious and that we are like two opposites. I said that what makes the podcast go well. So it's... Now we've gone international is what you're saying. Yeah, this podcast is available in U.S. and Canada. Still only North America. We're still Oh, no, and your mom listens from Israel. So we're, we've already been international. That's a good point. But to be fair, my mom listening, as much as we appreciate you listening, mom, uh, she's still my mom, right? Steve, you know, he has no reason to be proud of us or listen to our jibber-jabber. Um, do you mind putting up the... Uh list of things on our zoom so we're able to get started with our day well i already know the first topic it's a quick one with sports college football and one second am i drinking alone again i'm upstairs i'm gonna go downstairs and get scotch why do you not have alcohol in your man cave what kind of man cave doesn't have readily available alcohol that's it's a good point i need to start keeping a bottle up here that's a very yes, good point. you do. You are the worst at substance abuse. I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> I got an F in substance abuse, Mom. Well, if you're going to fail one thing in life, fail at substance abuse. That, that and drug tests. No, you don't, want to drug fail. Tests. you don't want to fail drug tests. You want to pass the drug test. Why? If you, well, I guess it's going to kind of like positive or negative. Um, so the, well, first, Cheers. Um, again, you were drinking for the both of us tonight. I forget beforehand to get the alcohol. I'm, I know I'm, I'm, Jew- I'm Jewish. That's what it is. If, if, I literally if we were, if we were eating a certain snack before every podcast, I guarantee you, I'd never forget that. I believe you. Um, I don't tend to drink hard liquor during the week, but for the podcast, I pour myself a few drinks. I actually could probably use one with, uh, just everything going on. In the world and in life. So next time I will. Uh, well, for posterity, one. for the uh, scientists that discover our podcast as a part of a time capsule 500 years from now, what is going on in the world right now? So we'll start with the NFL and college football being back, which is good for people who need sports as a distraction from what's going on in the world. Um, <laughs> what's amazing is college football, one of their opening games had higher ratings. This is a regular season opening game. I think Clemson against somebody than five of the six NBA Finals games. So literally, the number two major sport in the United States in the United States is basketball, and the NBA Finals ratings were uh, were lower in five of the six games than the opening day of college football. And this isn't even the NFL. So it's kind of insane when you think about about it. How much football is literally by far and away the biggest sport in the United States of America. Are these popular teams that we're playing? Yeah, they're popular teams, but but they're still it's Clemson University. Like, unless you're a Clemson alum or a huge college football fan, it's not like, oh man, like I didn't watch the game. I, I could care less. Um, I'll watch the postseason of college football because that's when it gets interesting. But again, I also didn't go to a, a like you a college football powerhouse school. So I guess all these people who think their teams have a shot also want to see kind of what Clemson, who's constantly competing for a national championship how they look at the beginning of the year i guess so it kind of makes and sense was it a good game i have no idea i just saw the ratings were huge that's all that was the one thing i saw and, and one other thing am i recalling correctly that you said something about 
college athletes being allowed to make some money now. Yeah, but that had zero to do with their ratings. But I'm saying, but so these these players, they are now entitled. They are entitled now to collect some sort of like sponsorship yeah, dollars but, or whatever. Yeah, they're entitled to individual sponsorship dollars, but they're not getting any cut of the TV revenue. No, 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 for sure. But but, but it, yes, it, but it more helps people watching them. makes them more popular. But still, it's not like any of these college football athletes are really going um, national. It's really more local market stuff for them to kind of make money on appearances locally. Um, I wouldn't say that any college football player, except for maybe a couple of the future Heisman hopefuls, but I, I mean, I couldn't name I couldn't name you one player in college football right now. So uh, there, nobody has a Q score. Um, which is kind of a score overall rating for how much name recognition somebody has. Nobody has a Q score. I think that's very high currently in college football. So, so it should um, be stated that if you don't know who these players are, that means something since you tend to follow sports quite a bit. Correct. Um, and the oh, NFL your microphone being... is rubbing up against your scruffy neck. Oh, I apologize. Forgive me. Um, but the, yeah, the NFL is back right now. That I am watching intently because a my fantasy team. Uh, I have two guys playing right now. Feedback, feedback, One... feedback. Seriously? Seriously. Better? No, look where your microphone is. My microphone is right next to my mouth. Oh, is this better? Ah. Uh... I can only hear you, so it's good you can hear me. So I'll just hold it like this. Yes. Do I have any feedback? Nope. Exactly um, perfect in every way. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yep. Yep. That's exactly what I'm saying. That is not a giant stretch. Uh, at all. <laughs> um, On that note, I'm going to pour myself a little bit more to drink to solidify my perfection. So, so the opening game of the NFL season is happening right now. The Dallas Cowboys and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's a really good game so far. I'm quite Bay win enjoying Super Bowl. it. Last year they did, and Tom Brady's still quarterbacking them. So it's amazing. Oh, good, another catch by my fantasy team. Um, it's great to kind of watch them um, and um, still Brady. watch him at 44 years old. He's the second oldest starting quarterback in NFL history with this game. Um, and But he's like the other guy that was 44 that played a game was not nearly in his town pool and was like came in for one game because the starting QB got hurt. I mean, what Tom Brady do- is doing at 44, it's unprecedented in sports, um, especially in football or basketball, kind of the more contact sports. So, Is he still married to Giselle? He is. Are you Wikipedia him right now? No, I'm adjusting the temperature of my home thermostat. Um, so he's still married to Giselle. He's 44. He's starting yeah. quarterback for a Super Bowl winning team. Correct. Yeah, not a bad life. Uh, not bad. Do they have kids together? Yeah. They have two kids, and he's got one from uh, Moynihan. I think Bridget Moynihan? One of the Moynihans. Um, also, he has a kid. So he's got three kids. But what's what's crazy to me about um, the NFL is with sports betting also now being legal um, in, mo- in a lot of states like New York and Colorado, like um, – it literally also just makes these NFL games even more likely to be watched by a large group of people because um, they have, when somebody has money riding on something, it also makes it that much more. So I know somebody that currently has money betting whether or not the Cowboys running back will score two touchdowns tonight. He doesn't have one yet, so it's not looking good. Um, but, um, but it just, it makes it way more likely to be followed and watched. 
So, well, I hope your friend makes lots of money. Did you ever see the Simpsons episode where Homer and Lisa watch football and they bet on the games? No. So there's a line in there where he says, gambling is the way to take something that's amazing and make it even better. That's quite true, when it, especially when it comes to sports. Um, and the nice thing is also now, like they had huge issues with gambling in the 50s with the college points, shaving scandals, and you had referee who was caught. But now the money is so big in sports um, that your people are able to gamble and they're really not worried about an athlete all of a sudden throwing something because why would they risk when they make so much money to to do something that would uh, skew an outcome? So a lot of that fear. Okay, that I hear. That must be your feedback. Dishwasher's done. Oh, awesome. Forget about him going to a quiet room so we could podcast in peace. His dishes are done, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I'm sorry. My man cave is still under construction. You can just <laughs> go to any private room. Oh, Really? How many private rooms do you think there are in my house right now? There's got to be a bathroom you can go into somewhere. Oh, so I have to go sit in a bathroom while you sit on a couch draped in Yankees and Astros blankets? Okay, they're seat covers. (laughs) (laughs) Two, um, life isn't fair. Oh my god, totally. But I'm enjoying my bourbon, and there shouldn't be too many other interruptions. Although, you never know with one of my kids coming out of their bedrooms randomly at like 11 o'clock at night. Um, they wouldn't be 11 so, scenes. So it's, only, it's actually only not even 10 here yet. Well, I'm, I know, but I have a feeling that I'm not saying they're coming out now, but closer to 11 than they come out. Meanwhile, it's not good because I'm playing against the guy I'm playing against, just got a touchdown for his fantasy players. So that's not helpful. Whatever. Uh, fantasy weak. foosball. Um, but, I mean, we're already 10 minutes in. We have gotten to our main topic. We wanted to spend most of the time on it. Um, on Saturday will be the 20th anniversary of September 11th. Um, and a really big momentous day for this country in terms of remembrance. All the major networks are spending a lot of time and, and rightfully should be on it. Um, there's a documentary CNN is re-airing that came out five years ago which has, I think, some of the only footage from inside the towers on that day. Um, I don't know who's taping it because it's not like it is today where everybody has a cell phone with a video camera on it. It's kind of amazing where technology's gone in 20 years, at least in terms of turning everybody into their own personal uh, video camera and film person. Um, so moments would get captured. So the fact that there is some footage from 01, um, especially in that chaotic of a situation, is kind of interesting i'm I'm taping it but um just in general kind of wanted to start with kind of where you were on september 11th and your memories of the day and then i'll happy to talk about mine i was in toronto canada it was um you just finished high school right i just finished high school and i was working in toronto and um I worked like the like nights. Like I worked from like one o'clock to like nine o'clock. So I used to. You worked drive. from one a.m. to nine a.m. No, one p.m. to oh, nine p.m. That makes way and, more sense. To be yeah, fair, you said you worked nights, and you said you worked from one to nine. So that's not a crazy thing to think. That's fair. I can accept that. And um, but because of that, in the morning I would drive my cousins to school, and um, so. I was out in the car, I think, when the first plane hit. But I got back already from dropping. Like, I got back home. 
I'll never forget this because I walked into my, I was saying my, I was living with my aunt and uncle in Toronto. I walked in and my uncle says to me, a propeller plane hit the twin towers. And so I read, and, and a couple of days earlier, a propeller plane had in fact hit um, some building in the Upper West Side. It was just an accident. So initially at that point in time, at least in Toronto, they were saying, a propeller plane bump, you know, crashed into the World Trade Center was by mistake. And I turned on, the, I remember turning on the TV right after you told me that to see what was going on news and every channel had it on at that point. And I saw the towers smoking and the size of the hole in the building. And I said, that was no propeller plane and that was no accident. And, uh, and then shortly after that, the second plane hit. And the rest are because. Did you history. see the second? Did you see the second plane hit live? Yeah, I was watching the news, and because um, the guys were just like talking commentary, and then they're like, "Wait, what? what, what oh my gosh!" Right? It was pretty crazy. Um, and in Toronto, so the rest of that day, like you know, you, I remember like people. I, I didn't think the world was ending. I guess because I've been through enough terrorist attacks. I just, I just assumed it was a big terrorist attack, and it was awful. Um, you know, I'm sure there are people that thought the world was ending. And um, a lot of the flights that were heading to the East Coast in the United States were rerouted to Canada, to Newfoundland, but also to Toronto. Um, and at the time, I was working at a kosher restaurant. So we were, people were like calling in to like buy meals for kosher passengers and just have us take them to the airport to find kosher passengers at the airport to bring them food. Um and yeah, I actually went to work that day, which was bizarre. But um, like I said, you know, we needed to get the food out to the uh, to the airport. So that was a you know, I guess at a high level extent of it. You know, it was a weird day. School continued. Tanya said that at her school they shut down, but my cousins stayed in school till the end of the day, and um, you know, we were all glued to the news. And when I went to the restaurant for work, the restaurant was empty. The streets were actually now I think about it, probably pretty empty. Um, it was surreal, but, you know, again, for me, having gone through violence in Israel, I was sort of like, this is bad, but it wasn't like, it never struck me like this was like some apocalyptic moment. Um, so that was, that was my experience on 9-11. What about you, Mr. Mr. Oh, actually, do you have any questions on my experience? No, uh, very interesting. Um, ours was, mine was a little different. So I was sophomore in high school and when we got to my first class, um, the teacher mentioned it was actually Elise Pass, who lives in our neighborhood, said, oh, apparently a plane hit the World Trade Center. I was like, okay. Like, nobody, like she said, like, just like matter of factly. And it was like, okay, nobody knew it was a big deal because, um, again, like, Sutter was a small plane. And previously, a plane hit, I think. Uh, one of the New York Yankee pitchers had a little small plane that either hit the Empire State Building or the World Trade Center, uh, also hit hit them, but like it did like no damage. So we thought, okay, she just saw that on the news. Was letting us know. We went. Then in our next class, um, eventually there was an announcement, a loudspeaker to come in and watch on TV. This was not an ordinary thing. I think they had us do that after the second plane hit. We walked in and it was on. They had one of the TVs on. Um, then the school um, started saying. Um, Tehillim, which for those who don't know what that means, they started saying prayers um, for the people who were injured. Um, I knew that this was kind of an emergency, so I'm like, 
you guys are definitely okay praying. I'm going to not go in. I'm going to call my mom to be like, yo, we should probably go home because the thing they were worried about um, was they didn't know what was next. There was rumors that it was going to hit um, in Chicago. The Sears Tower was one of the things. They were worried about them going after Jewish institutions. Nobody knew what was going on. I think the the chaos of that day, nobody knowing. So I literally, uh, I had a cell phone at the time. Uh, I think I literally just got it like three months earlier. I think I got it for like my 15th birthday because I was starting to drive. Um, and I literally called my um, my mom and said, you should probably come pick us up. And then eventually they closed school for everybody else that day. Um, but just remember pulling my brother who's in, in, um, in, in uh, third grade out of class. I, I was 15. I had no business being his legal guardian and pulling him out of class. Mm-hmm. And there is a Levenstein child still awake. What, Brooke? My shampoo. Okay. Go into bed. Okay. As I said, you need to find a bathroom. Um, um, One day, my, maybe. My third, so I pulled out my th- brother in third grade out of class, even though I was 15, and they just gave him to me. I'm like, well, I don't know how safe our school really is now. They just gave me my brother. I um, picked up, went home. My dad was actually supposed to fly out that afternoon, that night to Orlando, uh, but they grounded all air travel, yeah. obviously. Stephanie's father just landed in Chicago, right? Like he took an early morning flight and he had to drive back to New York, which is nuts. He got like the second to last car uh, in the lot, um, rental car. So that that's pretty nuts. But in terms of my memories, it was just watching a lot on TV. The confusion, they thought there were six planes originally that were hijacked. A couple more were still in the sky. Like the amount of the news was reporting stuff without a lot of factual. There was a lot of speculation. And then I remember George W. giving a speech that night. Um, but just kind of insane. I remember a couple of people in our, in my school worrying about that they knew somebody in the World Trade Center that might might have been there. Um, and luckily, I mean, not luckily, but it was somewhat fortunate for the death toll that it happened uh, at like 8, 15, 8, 30 in the morning before the World Trade Center was full for the day. Like if this had happened at 10 a.m. or 10.30 a.m., um, I mean, there are a lot of stories how people were, there was, it was the week before uh, Rosh Hashanah and that a lot of people were in synagogue late. So they weren't in the World Trade Center uh, yet, even though they had jobs there. Just a lot of kind of crazy stories, um, but horrendous, horrendous event. And um, it's kind of like, I guess it's the JFK assassination for our generation in terms of everybody remembers where they were on 9-11 uh, 20 years ago. So. And it also, it changed the fabric of society. Yeah. Uh, so safety, security, um, just being careful. I mean, air transportation still is not the same, not even close. Um, um, and, and just the overall feeling that you're not safe anywhere, I think. Um, I, I feel like everybody in the United States, like you had the Oklahoma City bombing in 95, um, but that was kind of like a one-off event. It wasn't like a coordinated plot against the country. Um, it was one they they destroyed. It was also kind of like domestic terrorism for international terrorism to kind of take part and and have a coordinated attack of four different airlines being um, hijacked. When the last time a U.S. airline was hijacked, I don't even know before September 11th. Be a good thing to look up, but it was years and years and years. So um, I think it was like in the 70s. Um, so it's kind of just it was kind of the end of kind of a point in time of kind of safety and security people felt in this country. Right. Because it was basically up. It was, a, I guess it was like around 10 years. Yeah. It was 10 years since the end of the cold war. 
Right. So you weren't worried about getting nuked. Right. And yeah, everything sort of was, was distant. And um, yeah, no, absolutely was, uh, it was a big hit. Might have been the safest 10 years in American history, if you think about it. It was, and, and it was, it was like a bizarre time, right? Like it was just this very, like, everything was very positive. It felt like, you know, there were some like, I mean, you had, you had bad events along the way, but like for the most part, there was like a sort of a sense of stability. I felt, I mean, and it could also just be because we were younger, so we were less aware. Um, But it was, it was definitely a change from that day forward. Everything was just different. And the fact is, you know, well, the, 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 the extent of the trauma, right. It, it Mm -hmm. really does sort of, it, it went through all of society. Everyone across the country was affected. Everyone was traumatized by it. Now, obviously, people that were, you know, lost family, friends, whatever, on the on nine eleven, it's a different level of trauma. Correct. People that survived, etc. But it really was something that I felt like, you know, it changed the fabric of society. Not just because all of a sudden we had to go through more security at the airports, but I think people were genuinely traumatized by that. And then since then, we have a generation that's grown up with America at war. Yeah. Um, we'll get to that in a second. Um, but the one thing I just wanted to quickly talk about before we even got to that part was the nine 11 victims fund. And what was, what's crazy about that fund um, is the fact that so many of the people now who are able to qualify weren't people who were even in the building on nine 11 or may not have even been in new in lower Manhattan on that day. It's in the weeks and the months afterwards, there was so much debris in the air, breathing in chemicals. Um, those buildings were made in the 70s, asbestos. There are the people literally, they're not even the responders. I was just reading an article of a student who was at Stuyvesant High, uh, high School who literally yeah. ended up getting breast cancer or cancers um, and just from going to school for the next month in that area. And and it's it's really nuts. It's not only the first responders and the um, and the and and the people who are in the buildings, but it's even the people who are in there weeks afterwards. Um, I don't know why um, it wasn't nearly well enough known that the last thing these people should be doing is going down to that area when there was still heavy heavy smoke. I mean, the thing was smoking for it's a while. Think, yeah, over a month afterwards, like and that air was awful to be breathing in. So uh, I I don't know if it was just a lack of knowledge or, or just EPA kind of doing it. But I mean, it's kind of crazy that this 9-11 victims fund is now covering people who may not have even been there on that day. So, well, you know, we didn't, at the beginning, we didn't know the extent of it to the, and what I mean by that is that, um, only afterwards did they realize that the planes hit and were erupted in such high heat that through the fireproof stuff, they, they actually vaporized the metal. Correct. And I think at the time, people just didn't realize the extent of that damage and explosion and how and, much and, it was and, vaporized and in the air. Correct. And, and how bad that is for humans to breathe in. Because mm-hmm. even if you did realize it was vaporized and you did know all that stuff, you may not have known how bad it is to be breathing that in and that it lasted for a month. And you don't feel it at the time. Correct. Yeah. That's the worst part of breathing stuff in. You have no idea. Um, the chemicals and particles are so fine. They're in parts per millions, but that does long-term damage. 
Yeah. Um, it's really, really crazy. Um, and then kind of that brings us to kind of the leaving of Af- that timing of leaving of Afghanistan. Um, basically 20 years later, it was kind of like Biden wanted to kind of be out by this anniversary is what it really feels like. I don't know why else you kind of create like a September one date um, in order to then be able at the 20th anniversary to say, it's like now time for the time for war is over. The time for recovery and remembrance is now like, uh, maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's not, but the whole, I, otherwise I don't understand why you would just pull all American troops out of there when you haven't had one pass away in a year and a half, as we talked about. And the fact that America still has plenty of troops on the ground in plenty of other countries where we have bases set up. So why we couldn't leave a giant base in Afghanistan or have, I mean, the pullout was definitely handled poorly, but the question is whether or not we really needed to pull out to begin with. So um, it seems like something that a lot of people were pro, like Trump was for it and Biden is for it, even though they're opposite sides of the aisle. Doesn't necessarily mean that was the right thing to do, though. I think sometimes people think just because if both sides agree on it, it's probably the right thing to do. But I don't know if it was in this case. And and this is one of these things where it's hard to know because it's so political. And so, therefore, the facts have already been so twisted and recarved and reshaped in numerous different ways that it's, it's hard to figure it out. The reality is, is that there was no, this was never ending, right? Like, in other words, it was either we're there for in perpetuity or, or, um, or it's going to end like this. Like, there was no really, there was no good ending to this. Well, there could have been a more, uh, a, a, a better, um, a better way to handle it for sure. You, they could, we could have stayed and, and no, but and even like in a said, pullout, there could have been a, a better pullout also. There's no way. Yeah. This was a, yeah. For sure. And and this goes back to also something that I always, you know, what I always think about is, which is when politics dictate military, right? And that's a recipe for disaster, right? Yep. Military has to, so to be able to either operate as a military or not. But like, you know, when, when you start bringing politics and all these things into it, then the military can't really function because now it, it can't make its own decisions. And I think that was a big part of it also, right? If you... You know, like I was just talking about like our morning routine, right? The goal is to have Tanya and the kids in the car by 7.15. So then we work backwards from that. So, you know, had you gone to the military and said, okay, we want to do a full orderly pullout. When does that need to be done by? Safely. And and then work backwards from there. But instead, some arbitrary date was set. And it was. Or it was set way too late. Or I think it was way too short of a timetable. Yeah. Yeah. So it just wasn't, and also it wasn't fair. giving a hard date also might be the dumbest thing in the world because it alerts it alerts um, the Taliban forces in terms of okay, good to know. Let's let's start getting ready for this because they'll be out by then. Whereas if you say it, it's uh, this will be done by sometime in October, November. It gives them less of a finite time to prepare their. You understand what I'm saying? They don't want yes. to get into a direct conflict with the United States of America. But so far, the Taliban hasn't been horrible. Yeah, well, that's because we don't even know the deal yet that the U.S. is probably cutting with them in order to get these people out. Well, and 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 again, you know, I don't I don't like to be optimistic, but you know, maybe just maybe, you know, their religious fervor 
Oh God, right? this their again. Their desire to have their Muslim caliphate will outweigh their desire to do crazy things. Right? You know, I, I, I you realize I having a Muslim caliphate is one of those crazy things, right? Not necessarily. Oh yes. Ask the women in uh, Afghanistan um, who have had f- freedoms if a caliphate is uh, is crazy to them, my friend. Right, but then let me ask you this: Do you know for a fact that there are more women appreciate Sharia and think that it's a good thing for them, and that they want to? I'm not, and I don't know the answer necessarily, but I do know that you know. Um, here's what I equated to: You know, there's this whole thing on Netflix with unorthodox and these TV shows that depict, you know, how awful... Yeah, but they, these women have a choice. In the United States, the woman, Julia Hart, has a choice whether or not she wants to be Orthodox. These women have no choice anymore. When you take away somebody's choice, it doesn't matter if a majority of people like it or not. It You're, you're not giving them a choice in the matter. Then while we were in Afghanistan, these women had a choice. Do you want to follow Sharia law and, um, and, be, and play your role in a proper... Um, Islamic society as defined by the men or do you want to be a woman with freedoms right you're you're, you're taking right. away that choice you're right but I, I still don't I still so think, anyway. I I think even if the majority want choice taken away doesn't mean you should take away choice so even if what you're saying is correct I still think it's horrible okay uh, by the way I agree with you on that I agree with you that taking away a person's freedom of choice is horrible. Mm. But they're also saying if you don't want to live in Sharia and you don't want to live in the caliphate, we're going to let you leave. They're not letting they we're only letting uh, Americans leave. They're not letting people who aren't American citizens just They walk said away part of the them. broader they they're saying they will. So again, let's see what they do. Yeah. It's not past judgment. And by the way, these people who are chained to their husbands, I guarantee they're not going to be like, oh, sure, go get divorced. You don't want to live like this anymore. You can go escape. No. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like your positive spin, but I, I unfortunately think it's uh, very ill-informed or ill, Ill-like. Overly optimistic. Over, yes. Quite overly. Um. Then the other thing you talk, wanted to talk about is Ahmad Shah Mus, uh, Masood, who, just a little bit of background because I had to look up again, but his assassination by the Taliban today, 20 years ago, was kind of the things to kind of um, allow Osama bin Laden to show, okay, I can do this, uh, is at least what I read from the Wikipedia article, trust me that I can coordinate a strategic attack on the United States. Right. So, A, I included it because it was today. Yeah, and tied into the theme, um, but also it's interesting because I remember when this happened and reading about it in the newspaper. Um, and on September 9th, you're like, "Oh, that's interesting," right? And right. then two days later, September 11th, you don't even remember that that happened. But now, you know, looking back, so it was today, 20 years ago today, and. Um, and it wasn't a coincidence that it was two days before nine eleven. Yeah, um, yeah. It was also the, it's funny the nine eleven intelligence failure. Um, a lot of people like to attribute it to Bush, but Bush was in the office for about eight months. And anybody knows anything about intelligence knows that it's a it's a years and years long process in order to develop 
people in on the ground, develop a lot of things. And it was a giant intelligence failure that, again, you can, I'm sure Bush has some blame for it, but a lot of it goes back to the Clinton administration. So um, I just thought that was also something to mention that, um, that the fact that this was able to happen um, almost, it seems like so easily that people just took it for granted that it just couldn't happen here in this country. Right. And at the same time, you know, in the context of what we were saying earlier, it was a time of pretty solid peace and quiet. Right. Um, no, I so think they took, I think that, yeah. And they were, I think, focused yeah. more because on the previous attacks, it was kind of more domestic terrorism. Um, mm. You had... Or or it was, it was like in Kenya or... Right, you know, right. It was Mogadishu. at American... American institutions abroad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was the uh, the USS Cole, right? Right. Which was, was a, which is a military right. target. You, know, you can't even like. But it was the first attack on U.S. significant yeah. attack on U.S. soil since uh, Pearl Harbor. Actually, and Pearl Harbor wasn't even a Hawaii wasn't even a state in forty one. It was just a territory. So in uh, the United States itself. But was um, Oregon a state of the in the United States in nineteen forty five? Yes. Aha. So in uh, one second. Uh, in 1940, a Japanese balloon bomb killed six Americans in Oregon, five of them children. So not as bad as Pearl Harbor or 9-11. I mean, but, not even close, but yes, but that's, it's funny. Nobody's, I'd never even heard of that before. So that's, that's kind of nuts. And uh, yeah, on May 5th, 1945, um, which is became which the is, first and only civilians to die by enemy enemy weapons in the United States mainland during World War II. Wow! It was a Japanese, um, it was a Japanese balloon. Wow! It was a balloon bomb. Wow! It was the first so, successful intercontinental weapon. Wow! That's something very fascinating. Interesting how they don't teach about that. I guess because it was a one-time event, and then. It kind of never happened, but but I don't know. Yeah, it, it, was it really was it launched all the way from Japan, or was it launched from like an aircraft carrier that was a few hundred miles away in the uh, Pacific? Because it, it seems a long way for a balloon to go. Hold on, six children. Jeez, so, send me that link. It must be a fascinating news story. Never. Uh, yeah. Um. um I'll send it to you. But they did, they, yeah, they would, they use the jet stream and with a fuse. That was the new article. Yeah. Well, but crazy, eh? Yeah, that's pretty nuts. The uh, A, the Canadian. So that's kind of our September 11th kind of uh, recap. Um, be interesting. Maybe we'll talk a little bit more about kind of what the coverage shows. 20, I will we'll each watch some stuff and kind of be uh, interesting to see kind of how the u.s covers it um for a lot of the events they used to show kind of they would like show the live feed from that morning um mm -hmm. it'll be interesting from the 20th anniversary if the networks do that too uh it's gonna be a little hard for us because it's a saturday this year so it'll be hard to uh kind of watch some uh any of it but we can record some of it so um be very interesting to see kind of how the memorials how the networks each cover it so um, yeah. Um, our next topic is finally somebody thinks about starting a third party. So 
I was reading Politico. I check a couple of websites before we do this podcast. Apparently, Andrew Yang is coming out with a book in October, and apparently, and he states about it, um, and he's in the press to lead up to this book that he would like to create a third party in the United States. Which finally, well, I mean, that's actually offensive because there is a third party. What? There's no real third party. Tea Party. Tea Party is part of the Republican Party. It basically is the Republican Party right now. Uh, all right, fine. So go on. So Andrew Yang, I think, wants to create a more moderate third party um, in the United States. He just lost for New York City mayor. Um, and I, I think he realizes that the Democrats have skewed so far left. It's probably a result of this election, so I'm sure a little bit part of it. The Democrats have skewed so far left. The Republicans have skewed so far right that there really is room in the middle. Again, I, I haven't read his book or his statement on it which I would like to read, um, but it's going to definitely be um, uh, interesting read. And, and if he can be successful at this, it could potentially be a game changer in Republican politics. Other people have definitely had the idea and a couple of people have tried, but if he really tries to create a real moderate third party, it'll be interesting if it gains any traction. And how could it affect the 24 presidential election too? Let's say he runs as the third party candidate and you have Trump on the right and Biden on the left. It'll be very interesting how, how he plays um, um, just in general. Cause again, it's so tight between Republicans and Democrats in this country um, in these individual States um, that it's kind of nuts in terms of um it's nuts in terms of what you um, would need as a couple of percentage points to really turn an election one way or the other. So I'll start off by saying I love Andrew Yang. So I'm completely biased on this. I think he is a refreshing change. Um, not to be overly optimistic, although that seems to be a trend of mine tonight, I, for which I apologize, but <laughs> maybe it's Nikki Haley from the Republicans. And then, and then in that case, I would vote for Nikki Haley over Andrew Yang. But if it's Trump against Yang, I would definitely vote for Yang, and I think he's be a better candidate. Frankly, reminder: there is a th- Democratic uh, person in the in this scenario also in twenty four. It's not Sleepy just Republican Joe? versus, or it could be Kamala also. But I tend I, I tend to agree with you. I probably also my votes would be like you said. Um, very similar to yours if that were to be the case in 24, but um, it could also be, it could be Biden and it could be Kamala too. So it's a very odd with a sitting, it's the first time in a very long time in sitting history that you have a sitting U S president up for reelection where people don't know potentially who the nominee is going to be of that party. Cause Joe Biden is just pretty old and seems a little out of it. So I will say that whether it's Joe or Camilla, I'm not voting Kamala, for either. Kamala, Kamala, whatever. Camilla's your friend's daughter. Kamala is the vice president of the United States. There's also Camille, but um, I'm not voting for either of them. Um, <laughs> I'm not voting for anyone at this point because I'm still not American. But he's um, not a real American. All in due time. All in due when time. are you going to uh, get that? By the way, um, I told you I'm happy to tutor you in that te- for that test. Well, right now I'm studying for my securities exam, so maybe after that I'll do my citizenship. Oh, I think you should work on both at the same time. It's not that Oh, my much God. Study. Parallel work. I don't do parallel. I have 
enough other things in parallel. I don't need to add another thing. Well, speaking of elections, you also put on here Canadian elections. So I will turn the mic, the, the uh, mic over to you to see what the heck you're talking about. Well, oh, Canada. Um, so our, our cold and northern neighbor. So our fearless leader, Justin Trudeau, um, declared an election. Unilaterally started things. So he called for an early election. And his thought was, you know, catch the conservatives off guard and also sort of coming off of a quasi-successful navigation of COVID that, you know, he would be a shoo-in. And Zutalo, he is not. The conservatives have actually brought forward a really strong candidate. What's his name? Damn it. Drawing a blank. Come on, Stephen Harper. Come on, Stephen Harper. Uh, Aaron O'Toole. (laughs) O'Toole. So Aaron O'Toole is the conservative leader and leading candidate. And Prime Minister Trudeau is the liberal uh, candidate. And apparently, actually, they just had a debate, which I did not know. But Trudeau called the early elections, or as they call it, a snap election in August. And they created 30... (laughs) Snap election. That's so funny. Gotta love Canadians. What are you talking about, eh? Let's use a word that is not a very high intelligent word and say, oh, snap elections. So it was a 35-day campaign period, which, by the way, side note, I think the whole system here is absolutely ridiculous and the amount of money that's spent on presidential campaigns well, is out the, of control only, and offensive. Well, the, well, that's because of the Cain Feingold and all the allowance of soft money and they need to well, just... It's also they, the amount of time. The, the, the time, the time, years. yeah, but the time, but that runs the news cycle and people love it. Um, <sighs> as much as they say they hate it, they actually love it because it also fills news cycles. The problem just is the money, it's the soft money, it's the endless contributions. It's they just need to have a cap to how much money, um, politicians can take in because the money in elections is ridiculous. Um, so that's the real thing. So, anyways, the well, that's fair. And uh, it's, I still think it's crazy. But um, anyways, Trudeau is struggling. Uh, the race is pretty close. The liberals have Justin Trudeau. The conservatives have Aaron O'Toole. Bloc Québécois has Yves Francois Blanchet. The NDP has Jagmeet Singh. And the Green Party has Annamie Paul. Um, so obviously the two big parties are the conservative and the liberals with the uh, block Quebecois coming in third and um, it should be interesting because if he loses then you will have a conservative government in Canada during a democratic presidency but relative to at least from the little bit I've read on him relative to um you just said his name. Uh, Stephen Harper? Relative to Stephen Harper, O'Toole is a little bit more to the center. Um, and I think that's part of what Trudeau didn't anticipate, that because he's more to the center, he's pulling in a few more people that were 
left to center um, towards him because on certain hot topics, um, he is more uh, liberal than you would anticipate or moderate than you would anticipate. No, it makes um, a lot of sense. So it's, it's actually pretty interesting. Um, I think the elections are coming up in the next couple of days. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. 20th of September is the actual election. Got it. And um, it'll actually, I think it'll be interesting. Do you, you know, vote like, in the Canadian elections? So in Canada does not have absentee ballots. So if I wanted to vote, I would have to be in Canada on That's September That's insane. I also don't have to. Well, no, it's not. Why? You're a citizen. You should be able to have a say in your country. You have to be in the country to vote. Yeah, but there are people who are Canadian citizens who are abroad. If you happen to be out of town that day, there's no way for you to vote. Correct. But that's insane. But again, if you're an American citizen and you live outside the United States, you're still filing your taxes in the U.S. When you're a Canadian citizen, you don't. So taxation and representation. Wait, why don't you? Wait, why don't you pay taxes in Canada? Because we don't live there. It's the same Wait, as Israel. So that's kind of amazing. So you've got to go to a place. What are you living in the United States for? You should go move to like, uh, to, uh, I think it's um, Monte, uh, not Monte Carlo, um, uh, Monaco. And I don't think they tax you at all then. So then I wouldn't be able to hang out with you. I'll come visit you in Monaco. <laughs> Uh, man, I just want to go live on my ranch in the middle of Texas and I'll just like emancipate myself and com- I'll call myself a sovereign nation and I'll never have to pay taxes again. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that makes sense. I didn't know that that was the Canadian rule for taxation. I thought it was an offsetting that if you made money in the U S you could just not pay in Canada. Like that's what the, so got it. I don't know how many countries you actually... I think America is pretty unique in the sense that you have to actually file their taxes even if you're living abroad. Don't call. Okay, I was just saying, I think even... I think the United States is unique in the sense that it's a, they would have to, you have to still file taxes even if you don't live here. Um, anyway, we're going to end this part of the podcast because I got a call. It's 11.30 at night. I'm getting a call from New York. So I'm going to take it and then I will call you back and we will do this second part of the podcast another 10 minutes about random right after this short break word from our sponsors about that and we're back after that word from our sponsors when i was a young warthog um our sponsor was pumba from the lion king well done um um the voice of none other than the actor who played Mr. Caroli on Saved by the Bell during the Malibu Sands episodes? Oh, I think so. His name oh is Ernie God. Ernie something. Ernie... Ooh, I don't remember his last name. I'm disappointed in myself, but it's Ernie something. Well, I'm judging you, obviously, for that. But I will also say that it's a uh, random factoid that I'm going to guess that 99% of our listeners have no point of reference or understanding of. Yeah, 99.0% of two. <laughs> <laughs> That's not cloud issues, it's facts. Um, uh, now I need to look up what his last name is because this is bothering me. Now while you're looking up, I'm just going to wish Ben Schechter a happy sixth birthday. Uh, is he next to you? No, but I'm just scrolling through Facebook because 
sort of. Uh, oh, Ernie Sabella. Voice of Pumba, as well as Mr. Carosi on Saved by the Bell. Still alive at 71 years old. What's Leon Leon Carosi. His name is er- Ernie Sabella. Huh. Ernie Sabella. That's the actor? Yep. Okay. Okay. Um, so, a couple of quick things. We have about five more minutes. It's also the 50th anniversary of Attica today. The giant, probably the most famous prison uh, rebellion of all time. Um, there's, they were kind of filming a documentary right now. It's going to be shown on Showtime at the end of the year. Um, I think right now it's actually being shown um, at one of the film festivals. Um, but there's a very famous movie made in 1980 about it. Um, kind of, for those who don't know, um, uh, prison in upstate New York um, in, in 1971, where there was a giant prison rebellion. They took over half of the prison. They tried to negotiate with the governor. 11 guards ended up dying, a bunch of prisoners. And the whole thing was handled really, really poorly by the governor. They literally rebelled to get better conditions. like, And they just wanted amnesty from the crimes they committed in taking over the prison. It wasn't a huge ask, um, but um, I think it was Rockefeller was the governor at the time. And it just it was handled extremely poorly, ex- very violent, um, and just a really, really kind of just sad state of affairs the pris- uh, a lot of prison re- reforms came about as a result of people not wanting another attica um so really kind of crazy so is this um, where the chant attica attica correct where that's where it comes from what were they writing about uh horrible prison conditions brutality by guards uh the prisons in the 1971 um don't really a lot of that administration did not have the same um did not have the same kind of leadership and care for human rights uh, that they do now and it's not like now it's perfect but it's a hell of a lot better than it was then and we say that that's why they closed alcatraz because the humane inhumane conditions yeah being on an island the cost Um, it's a lot of mental but yeah and Alcatraz was shut down around this time I think I think it shut down in 65 Alcatraz though maybe a little before this Um, another thing we can fact check later but um, but um, but yeah so it's the 50th anniversary of that and I just strongly recommend people looking that up Um, the first computer bug was found in 1947 and I don't know if even knew you knew this Mr. Technology but it was a moth it was a moth in the actual computer, and that's where the term computer bug comes from. I did not know that, but I did read it ahead of our illustrious uh, podcast. And uh, I, I assume they squashed that. But um, yeah, it was in 1947. So um, my guess is the little, the little um, uh, moth that probably destroyed the entire system. Um, it's not what it is today where bugs fly into computers and they just, yeah, probably don't do anything. So yeah, they just get zapped very quickly. It's, it's pretty crazy because those systems were in like dust proof rooms and giant warehouses. Yeah. But, a but moth they were dust proof. My dad, like my dad, when he was in university, he used to use a computer for some of the stuff he was working on. And he said like, you'd have to go through like a whole like de-static process. Like it was a whole thing like to go into the, like you, 
it, it wasn't like you were wearing an astronaut suit. You had to put on like a whole, a whole gear. So to, <laughs> I guess you know, it's like when all that happens, and then you walk in, and then you see a moth flying around. And you're like, well, what was the point of all that? Yeah. So that's so that's kind of the first. And finally, we end with one of the all-time great comedic actors of the '90s generation. Um, I don't know about all time. I think that's a high bar. But Adam Sandler is 55 today. Um, still waiting to have him over to my house to play basketball because I think he'd have a lot of fun and it'd be pretty cool to meet him um, because he made such great movies in the 90s and now he's kind of turned to more serious film roles um, and has kind of um, been doing a, I would say, a pretty, a pretty good job of of kind of finally transitioning his career to more serious roles. Um, his comedies have kind of bombed in recent years, but he had a, a really great turn um, in um, uh, the um, that recent Netflix movie with the um, the gems, no, precious uncut uh, yeah, gems, uncut gems. I still um, haven't seen that. It's worth seeing. Um, it's it's a pretty well done movie. So, a very happy happy birthday to him. You know, it's funny. I work. I don't know if you knew this, but I worked in the Diamond District. I and, did. Uh, and uh, so whenever I see these movies about the Diamond District, I'm like, ah, I don't want to watch that. You know, I'm like, ah, I, know. I don't want to go back to that. Um, but my first Adam Sandler movie was Billy Madison. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget it because <laughs> we were watching Billy Madison and my cousins in Toronto and my aunt was actually in labor so she went to the hospital to give birth and she left my grandmother in charge of us at my cousin's house because we were there for the summer and uh this so my grandmother you know of course sweet old lady we're like yeah we're watching a movie it's totally fine you know billy madison it's about a kid that wants to go back to high school and she's like oh great and we were able to watch it like she didn't come in. And the one point where she walks in is when Billy Madison is having like a meltdown at the teacher where he's, he's upset. screaming that... all the profanities. Yeah. And she walks in just for that. And she, I mean, the Rebbitson, right? She was just like, Ugh! and she shut off the TV and she's like, how can you watch this narish guide? And it was, <laughs> it was amazing. Um, and like literally that's a movie. I mean, it's not appropriate. But that is right. possibly the worst scene in the movie from a profanity's perspective, and that's exactly when she walked in. So. That's, a, that's a great story. Well, we are hitting the hour mark, so thank you all for listening. Uh, we will be back next week with another podcast, a pre-Yom Kipper podcast to start your fast off right. Maybe we'll just talk about really uh, uh, things that don't make you hungry. You can also talk about Rabbi Sachs. Ah, uh, Joe's rabbi, rabbi. Love that man. Um, And also, um, we should see if we get Adam Sandler to come on as our first guest for the podcast. I would love it. Good luck. I'm gonna put that in your capable hands. I'm gonna send him a tweet right now. Okay. Good luck. I'm tagging you in the tweet. Oh, great. Oh man, I do. I wish it. you could tag him to play basketball. Well, well, I'm going to invite him to come for in person. Nice. I'm sure he's just going to come uh, to Houston. Anyway, that's before we wrap up. Please, Adam. Huh? Yeah, just don't write my address in the tweet, please. 
Oh, that's a great. What's your address again? Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> At M. Sandler. Would you like to join at Stephen? Okay, we're going to take the rest of this conversation offline, listeners. Have a great evening. Bye.